This series of the Make Life Work podcast is supported by Little Warden. They monitor your website for the boring things that people often forget until it's too late, so you can concentrate on making more. Plans start from £25 a month, but Make Life Work listeners get an exclusive 60-day free trial, plus all the referrals will be doubled, especially for the mental health charity Mind. Get your account today at littlewarden.com slash makelifework. Welcome along to another episode of the Make Life Work podcast. I am Cy Jobling at Cy on Twitter. And for this series, I'm talking to people from around the tech scene about balancing work, life, well-being and side projects. This week, I'm talking to Ashley Baxter, product visionary and businesswoman from Glasgow in Scotland. Ashley has been on an amazing journey with her career over the past few decades, starting in web development, now building her own insurance business for other freelancers in tech. Ashley is no stranger to the conference circuit and also records her own podcast, which we'll talk about later on. On top of all this, Ashley also finds time for gaming, photography, and even endurance tests. So with all this in mind, Ashley felt like an ideal guest for the Make Life Work podcast. Let's do this. Welcome along, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a long time since we last spoke. Oh, we were just saying off beforehand, weren't we? It's been must be about years. ten years. Too least, long, I reckon. That's depressing. Oh, it's depressing when you realise how time is flying by. Yeah, and it just it just goes quicker and quicker, doesn't it? I think so. Less achievements in life later on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's not get too depressing already. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is a celebration of life and all the achievements we've had so far. The difficulties along the way, let's say, as well. So how how are you feeling? How how's things going with you? Things feel good. I'm happy. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I feel like I'm bringing a little bit of value to the world in my own way. But with that said, as a business owner, you still feel like nothing's ever good enough. You know, it's a constant, you never kind of reach that end goal. So you might have goals in your mind that you get to. And once you get there, you're just, you don't really take time to celebrate. You're the next, you're focused on the next thing. So whilst I am quite happy, I still really struggle with feelings of uh, like the business isn't where I want it to be or, uh, you know, it's just, it's not perfect. Perfect. So it's that that journey that we're all on, though, isn't it? I know what you mean. We're never happy. We never recognise the good things either. No, and I don't know if that's a, a good thing or not. I don't know if that makes us good at our jobs because it means that you're constantly striving for the next thing. But, yeah, we should always still take some time out to kind of pause and look at how far we've come because I'm sure that the last time we spoke I don't even know if I had an insurance business then did I <sighs> I don't think I did I feel like it was the early days for you yeah very early yeah yeah but we'll, we'll get into all of that stuff won't we we'll get into the the journey indeed shall we let's get into it then let's um let's start off go back right to back to the start uh you were doing a music course at college you're a drummer in a band and you needed a website so you got your hands dirty built a classic table-based website with inline styles Yep. Good times. Simple times. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to tell us a bit about why web design appealed to you back then and how you learned about it, where it took you and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. So it was actually something that my dad got me into. He's been quite a big influence in my life, but I used to watch him building his own websites for his insurance business. Um, so years and years ago, his kind of marketing strategy was to have as many websites on the front page of Google as possible, which you could do, you know, 16, 17 years ago. You can't do it now. It's it's hard enough just getting one website ranked, but that was his strategy. So I used to watch him building new websites and, you know, tweaking his existing ones. And so for me, it was just something fun to do after school because it was actually high school that I started, but it was, so it was before college. Um, but I lived in this tiny little town called Danoon and there was nothing else to do there. You really just had to make your own entertainment. So I was coming home looking for something creative to do, started building websites, did one for my band and then... I think when I was 16, I launched a, a record label, just uh, a little fun side project. Nothing, you know, too big. So built websites for that. And uh, yeah, just kind of enjoyed doing it. And I didn't realise at the time just how useful that skill set would be 
uh, until a couple of years later. And even now, I don't really build websites anymore. I don't do much of that stuff at all. But I think that just having an understanding of how it all works has really helped me with my business. So you, you had it as a hobby, really, as a childhood, I guess, as well. So very similar to what my history, I think, was. My uncle got me into tech and coding, um, and then the internet was kind of taking off. Similar to you, it was like hobby, hobby, hobby. Not much to do in the evenings. It's just write HTML, as you do as a child. Yeah. Um, what kind of websites did you start building? Because for me, it was that having that purpose of like, okay, my band needs a website, so let's make one. What were you doing? Um, I think this, well, actually, my uncle, he was similar. He was building up his own little businesses, and he asked for like a few templates to, to sort of give a face to those websites. So there was a little bit of a business angle anyway, and understanding why you were building it rather than just messing about. But I did have my own personal, you know, crappy portfolio website. I had 3D GIFs going all over the place and frames and all that jazz. <laughs> As I say, it was good times, a lot easier than it is now. Yeah, well, I was saying that to you earlier because um, it was all table-based, inline styles. It was, uh, I think in hindsight, well, compared to how it is these days, it was pretty simple to just pick up and play with stuff. Whereas now, I wouldn't even know where to start because there are so many technologies and frameworks and things. It just seems so overwhelming now. So fortunately, I don't have to worry about that anymore. You're in a better place, I think. We've made it really complicated. I don't know why it's got harder than easier. It should be the other way around. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it, it should be. But um, uh, yeah, I miss the, the good old days. And even like with our website now, it just seems so much more complex deploying things. And I miss the, the days of writing kind of vanilla HTML code and uploading it via FTP. And, and that was you. <laughs> Simple times, mate. I'll miss it as well. <laughs> so talking of your um, early days, you, when you were young, you actually inherited the family insurance business as well. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened there, the, what the family business was and how where it took you as well? Yep. So my dad ran a buy-to-let insurance broker that was all online. So we didn't have call centers and things like that. It was mostly just uh, done via websites. And um, he passed away when I was 18 and he left his insurance business in my not so capable hands and I say not so capable just because I was a teenager so I didn't have any industry experience I didn't know what I was doing didn't understand insurance and I certainly had no understanding of landlords which was our target audience so it was not a very good time in my life if I'm being honest because you know I kind of felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders because I went from being a teenager just out of college where I was studying drumming to now in some respects being financially responsible for a family. It was a, a lot of stress and then on top of that I was you know grieving for my dad and then the biggest thing that I feel like I had to deal with in that time was that kind of loss of identity because I was a drummer. That's who I was. Everybody knew Ashley was a drummer. I'd walk around with a pair of Vic Firth 5As in my back pocket. And I was not shy about telling people that I wanted to make it in music. That was my goal. There was no plan B. So to go from that overnight into one of the, the stuffiest industries in the world was a, a really difficult thing for me to grasp. You know, I felt quite embarrassed about it, bumping into friends and they'd say, so what are you doing now? You know, have you made it? And, uh, and I'm like, well, actually now I'm running a buy-to-let insurance business. And also I really hated the job, if I'm being honest. And all of this sounds negative, we'll get to the positive stuff, but I really didn't enjoy the job. The business wasn't doing as well as it was when my dad was running it, for obvious reasons. I had no idea what I was doing. And then also, like I touched upon, I didn't really get that satisfaction from helping landlords. Really don't care about landlords. But now, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I feel like it was actually an opportunity that I made the most of because I used that time to learn new skills. So I learned, you know, development. I learned Ruby, uh, Ruby on Rails. I learned SEO, digital marketing, all of that stuff that I've been able to put into the business that I have now. And then also I feel like I got a lot of the mistakes out of the way with that business that I've been able to avoid making when I went on to launch my own business years later. So even though it started as quite a kind of depressing period in my life, I feel like I've been able to take a lot of positives from it. It's wonderful to hear that you've taken all good things from that very difficult time. I mean, you, you, you say, like, obviously, you're, you're grieving for the loss of your father, which is not easy for anyone to cope with. You inherit a 
very complicated business model. It's not even a simple one. I know I've worked in insurance and how complicated it can be and stuffy. And it's got this weird sort of persona and I don't know, it's got like a smell around it, I guess, as well. Because yeah. it's, it's very sort of, it's not for the greater good. This is how I always perceived it when I was working in it as well. Mm-hmm. And you used to say I was working with landlords. Again, not the most renowned, fine citizens of the mm-hmm. world. So, yeah, you'd learn hard times. And I think being a drummer is complete opposite end of the spectrum, surely. It's like, I'm creative, I'm letting out, I'm, I'm you know, living life to the edge. Now I've got to go and negotiate an underwriting deal with um, my insurers and <laughs> trying to sell that to people that don't really want it either, you know? It's, yeah, I mean, that was a... What a what a contrast for you. You're, you're spot on. Um, but, but, and that was something I struggled with in the beginning. I felt like this business does not align with who I am. However, I've actually been able to bring a lot of creativity into my work, which is why I enjoy what I'm doing now. And I'm sure we'll like, we'll get into that as well about, because I don't, I don't actually work on my dad's business anymore. But this is why I enjoy what I do now, because I know I'm a creative person. I know insurance isn't really known for being creative, but I've been able to bring creative elements into my job. So I really enjoy design, even though I'm not I'm not a designer. I don't have design eyeballs, but I just appreciate good design. So I've been able to bring design, development, even uh, my, my photography hobby, being able to bring all of that into what I do now. So I have made my job in a non-creative industry quite creative. But I have a question for you because you, I don't know if we talked about this, we must have talked about it when we first met. What was your job in insurance again? So actually, like you, I wasn't running the business, but I was a bit of a jack of all trades in the tech side of it all. So the, the company took me on to be like head of digital and tech building websites, building the brands, marketing it all, looking at all the sort of the channels to sell to clients and customers as well. So we had a very small team. So I had to just learn on the job myself and use what I knew, go out and reach people like yourself and whoever else was around us to kind of help us do that learning as well along the way. So I... Did you enjoy it? So I did and I didn't. It was was weird, like you, I, I it was... I went from Yahoo, basically, working there for a year with some of the best digital minds of, of our time, to working in insurance with, <laughs> let's face it, they're just call centre clerks that are there to work, make commission. Mm-hmm. And I never really want, you know, you never go out to go, I must, I really want this insurance policy. It's like, shit, I need to go and get one. What's the best policy for me? What's the best price generally as well? Yep. I, was, I, I went in there thinking, could we flip this round, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later on. How can we make insurance desirable to people? But also, how can we relate to people better as well? Because obviously, we all need it for legal reasons, but also why you should have insurance. It's not just a a legal requirement. There's many benefits to it. So working in industry was quite difficult, I guess, because you're fighting all the larger forces that are out there. But I was quite lucky in the fact that I was working in B2C on the call center side, plus the underwriting side with underwriters as well. So it's B2B as well. And see the two different clients, the different behaviors and mannerisms. That was fascinating. And the difference between the two. You will find the underwriters are quite approachable people. They're really good people to talk to and get to know. Whereas the dog-eat-dog customer care client side was just a clash of personalities again. Do you find it similarly when when you're working with different parts of insurance? Um, So... The, so that was one of the challenges that I had, to be honest, with just getting started with my own insurance business was that I, because I was moving into a new area, I was moving away from buy to let into business insurance. Yep. And so the insurer that we previously worked with, they weren't of service to me anymore. So I had to find new contacts. The insurer I work with now, I do find them very approachable. And the reason that I partnered with them is because they are good people. They understand my customers. They're great with me. But I had to spend two whole years of meeting with insurers and underwriters to find the right partner. Most of them were rejecting me. It wasn't the other way around. I I found them terrifying to talk to when they are just real people. And I think that's something a lot of folk don't understand about insurance is that I know it's got a terrible reputation and a lot of people think it's you file claims and the computer says no, but there are real people behind these companies who 
believe it or not, they do actually want to help you. They do want to pay out your claims. So whilst I find the insurer that I work with now very approachable, I had two years of just walking into terrifying meetings as somebody who was pretty inexperienced. Because I didn't start my dad's business, I was just kind of handed it when it was at a point where it was pretty self-running. A lot of the hard stuff had been taken care of. So I now had to go out and start from scratch, go into these meetings with these big, scary people who are completely different to myself. You know, they're, they're, let's be honest, most people who work in insurance are middle-aged white dudes in suits. And I just didn't find them... So we call it gammon now. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't find them very approachable at all. But uh, that's why I'm really happy with the, the partnership I have now because they're, they're great people. They're very... Uh, they, they want to help freelancers and they want to help me help freelancers. So it's just perfect. And then on the, the kind of consumer facing side, I just absolutely love helping freelancers. And I feel like they're very easy for me to relate to because I was one for seven years. And also because I've been in that that world of going to all of the tech conferences and building this little community of, you know, friends who are web designers and web developers. So I have no problem dealing with my customers. I find them very relatable and, and I love helping freelancers. But yeah, the insurance side of things always scared me and it really shouldn't have. They're just people at the end of the day. Yeah, but I think I think like you say, you went through the hard times of finding yourself, who you really were. You were very passionate, obviously, with all your, your, your previous lifestyle hobbies and what have you. Finding that in your mid-twenties is difficult enough, let alone in your teen years. So how did you address that? Did you, did you feel like, not a failure, but did you feel like you, you, you were fighting against the you know, the common way, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a big reason why I started my own business was because I really wasn't getting anywhere with my dad's business. So, you know, there was there was this point where I got really interested in design and tech and yet noticed that the insurance industry was incredibly behind the time. It's gone a lot better now, but back then, this was kind of around the time where there was a big boom in responsive web design. Yet insurers were probably three or four years away from actually starting to implement that. And so I knew, right, that's what I want to do. I want to like build a quote system that's fully responsive and just sort of not ahead of the times, but it would have been ahead of the times in insurance terms, but just like, you know, current technology that doesn't suck. And um, I had a, a, it was just impossible to try to get insurers on board with that kind of thing. And yeah, especially walking into meetings as a, as a young woman, I've struggled to get people to take me seriously, especially because I have a, well, I, as we've covered, I have a really unconventional background. I don't have a university degree because I was in college studying drumming and then took over my dad's business. So I didn't have a degree. I didn't have a lot of the conventional, like I didn't work in an insurance company and then move up the corporate ladder. So it was really difficult to walk into these meetings and get people to take me seriously. And that's the struggle that I had with trying to get an insurer on board with my new business with Jack. And that's the trouble I had when I was trying to get insurers to adopt this new technology. And I don't really know at what point that changed, but I just didn't give up with it. I just kept going with it. And when it when it became clear that I wasn't getting anywhere because I built this quote system, flew down to London, demoed it to the insurer, the buy-to-let insurer that we were working with at the time and said to them, I want to build this and I want to roll it out across our own websites. And they absolutely loved it they were like this is this is great they'd never seen anything like that before and they said not only will you build it for your own websites but we'd love to hire you to oversee a team to build it and roll it out across our entire network of brokers so I thought that I'd made it I thought that was it I finally got them on board but it never happened and I, to this day I don't know why uh, they just kind of went quiet on me and then went off and built their own version which was really bad by the way um but yeah, I feel like it's been a constant uphill battle of being a, a young person with uh, an unconventional background in insurance. But just like having so much grit and stamina to keep going meant that I finally got there in the end. It just took many, many years. Yeah, I, I feel your pain because we, we went through similar challenges in our time. It's about the same period. Responsive web was kind of coming out now. It's becoming a bit more of a common practice. But like you say, all those providers just offer terrible out-the-box template systems that just don't work on desktops let alone mobiles so i was go we went through similar challenges of like kind of let's rebuild this oh no how that's going to affect all our customers we went yeah but we need to do something about this our customers are the millennials on their phones we want to be able to get them give them the quote on their phone 
Ooh, that's an interesting idea. I'm like, oh, God, come on. Get with the times. Tech is moving fast and you guys are not keeping up with this. So the education piece, I think, it sounds like you managed to convince people there is a way with this and demonstrate this as well. But unfortunately, it just didn't quite go where it should have gone after that. No, the, the, the frustrating thing is that if that meeting had actually went the way that they said they wanted it to, if they had actually built this and rolled it out across their entire network, I'm confident to say it would have been the first responsive quote system in the UK. And that would have been an amazing achievement. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Maybe it was an age thing. Maybe it was a lack of trust with me. I don't know. It just didn't happen. But it got to the point where I realised I'm wasting my time on this. And I still want to pursue this goal of improving design and technology and insurance. But it's just not going to happen with my dad's business. So it's time to walk away from that and start something new. And that's when I went on to to start with Jack. Right. Good segue, I think, because we've talked, we've alluded to it with Jack a few times now, which is it's effectively insurance for freelancers that work in tech and design and all that good stuff that we're quite familiar with. You get it. And I think that's probably why you went down this route. But can you tell us a little bit more about, okay, so you worked in Bytelet, you wanted to transition into business and small business as well. What was that end goal that you're looking for and how do you think you got there so far? So I feel like my end goal has changed a lot. Okay. Uh, so it kind of started off with, as I mentioned already, I wanted to improve design and technology and insurance and it wasn't happening with my dad's business. And also I realised like landlords don't really care about they don't really care about the tech they're using to buy their policies. They're quite happy sitting down on an old laptop using whatever it was, IE6 at the time to buy insurance. So my initial goal was I want to improve design and tech and insurance. So I'll start my own business. And um, one of the reasons that I chose freelancers was, of course, because of my own background in freelancing and then just kind of understanding that audience and feeling aligned with them. And the second reason was that no other insurers in the UK were focusing exclusively on freelancers. So I was actually the very first, I believe. But what I came to realise was that this goal of improving design and tech in the insurance industry is actually a really kind of rubbish goal because freelancers and anybody for that matter are not walking around going, I really wish I could like shave 20 seconds off buying my insurance premium next year. Or like, I'm not going to buy insurance from this website because the quote system's built in PHP. Nobody is walking around saying that. Instead, freelancers are walking around thinking about things like, I really hope this client pays me on time. Or, you know, I really hope that um, um, I'm not going to miss any deadlines with this project. And so my goal shifted from building good design and tech and insurance to simply wanting to help keep freelancers in business. And and obviously, like, technology can enable that to happen more efficiently and better. But now I'm just focused on the value that we can bring freelancers. I'm not focused on the technology that we do to, to deliver that value. I just want to create products and distribute products that will help freelancers get paid on time, that will help them if a client becomes difficult and threatening, if their their laptop dies, that we can replace it within the same day. Those are the problems that I'm focused on. So it's funny how much my goal has changed from launching a business in 2016, purely focusing on how can I, I make this look nice, focusing on the tech, to now just wanting to deliver value, helping to keep them in business. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I think you've, you've used... A very, very good example of stop focusing on the tech and the how, but more on the why. What are we doing this for? Who is it for? You know that audience quite well, but you, you've clearly identified the problems that these people have got. Yeah. So you're coming up with solutions around that. And that's probably a better way and a healthier way of looking at things. But so many people take too long to think like that. You've done it quite quickly. Well, if I look at a lot of my competitors, because like I was saying, I was, I think, the first to focus exclusively on freelancers. And now every few months, there's a VC-backed insure tech popping up that focuses on freelancers. But the difference that I feel between us is that a lot of the times they're focusing on the same things that I did when I launched. Like, we want to make it so that you can log in and update your policy. Or, you know, if you're, you've are you got a new contract and you need to increase your level of cover, we want you to be able to, to do that yourself. And all of that's great. But what I've focused on, because I'm not VC-backed and haven't been able to throw a ton of money at the technology, is instead 
how can we talk about these products in a way that actually resonate with freelancers so I remember when I was a freelance photographer shopping around for insurance had no idea what I was looking for didn't know what these products actually did and that's one of the problems that I want to solve with Jack is helping people understand these and like pull it because we're so focused on one group of people we're able to extract all of the relevant parts of these policies and tell people about them hopefully in a way that they understand and and feel like could help them so you know the with legal expenses insurance it's primarily marketed by insurers to help with uh, employment uh, issues but actually there's tons of amazing features that can help freelancers like sorry if this sounds like a sales pitch I, I just get excited when I talk about insurance but like I love the passion keep going like uh, you know if, if you're getting called on jury duty if you're a freelancer and you're away in jury duty for two weeks you're not earning money for two weeks so this insurance product can cover the cost of your daily rate to ensure that you're still making money or you know there's a solicitor who'll chase your overdue invoices on your behalf so that you can get paid so that's um, part of what we're trying to do with Jack is shifting that focus from technology to here's the products we sell and here's how they're going to help you here's how they can deliver value to you and I think that that's why this year my book of customers will hit half a million pounds which is insane and then I'll look at my VC backed competitors and some of them are going out of business after a year or two or having to sell to old school brokers because they've spent all of their time and energy and money on building out the fancy tech but then not being able to sell the policies to make the business profitable so that's what I'm trying to do. You seem to be doing a good job of it I mean you mentioned you're approaching half a million pounds worth of portfolio this year which is phenomenal for any company to get to that point is impressive anyway and I mean look you tell me a little bit about the team and how many people are what you're working with to make this works it's, this can't be a one-person job I know you'd, you'd like it to be but you know reality checks in right yeah so I'm the only employee with Jack although I, I am hoping to expand but at the moment I just work with other freelancers which again is really useful because we're building the business for them right. so a lot of credit I definitely would not say I've done this on my own by the way not not at all a lot of the credit goes to uh, like Scott Riley who's designed and built my website and my quote system Vic Bell who's illustrated the and brought the brand to life which is why a lot of people use with Jack because they feel the brand's very approachable and friendly and just different to other stuffy insurers and then um, Sabine who's written all of my copy which I think is a, a really um, I don't think copywriters get uh, enough of the credit that they deserve because she's really helped to uh, again do what exactly what we've just talked about like bring the products to life and speak about them in a way that hopefully resonates with the the people we're going after so even though I'm the only employee and it's a one woman startup I'm working with a small team of freelancers that are helping me to continue to build the business but I talked about how I want to improve design and, and tech and insurance and the ironic thing is because I started out in this industry with no contacts you know no no underwriting contacts no existing book of customers in the business field and no indication to the insurer that I could actually build a successful business I've had to start right at the bottom and work my way up and what I mean by that is I'm still manually processing quotes I'm still manually binding policies and manually binding renewals and manually making midterm adjustments and so it's a bit ironic that I focused wanted to focus on building better tech and yet I've started off by manually processing everything I have got to the point where I've proven to the insurer that I can you know we've got a business here and uh, and I'm making them money and the loss ratio is good and everything so we are actually right now building the automated quote and bind system and I can't wait for that because you have no idea, like my life has basically for the past three years been me leaving the house with a laptop attached to me because, you know, I've had to just in case a customer, just in case somebody wants to buy a policy or a customer gets in touch to make an urgent change. And I've like bound policies from the weirdest places like uh, on top of a volcano in Spain or on a canal in Amsterdam or hiding in the bathroom of my friend's wedding because she got married midweek. So for me, even though, so for me, I, I just can't wait to finally automate all of that stuff because then it'll free me up to do more of getting the word out there and uh, and marketing with Jack which is is what I think I enjoy the most is uh, talking about insurance and getting it in front of the right people and getting them signed up so yeah so that's what we're doing right now is building the automated 
quote and bind system but I've been manually processing everything for the past three years and I can't wait to get to the point where my time isn't spent doing that because it has just felt difficult when you're doing that you're not you've not got the time to then distribute the you know focus on marketing and everything else so it's been tough um it's been really tough but it really it feels like a, a worthy payoff it is working there's a few things in that I want to pull out so one you've found a problem that you are personally going through over and over again so you've automated that or you, you are going through the process of automating that which is a sensible smart way of working just because you're doing lots of work doesn't mean you're doing clever work and you've got so much to kind of share and do in your business you shouldn't be spending too much time doing that by the sound of it so touche for that second thing you mentioned was oh what was it It was about talking about it and making it human friendly and you know get the value out of people's different skills so you've recently started creating a podcast around the business which again Hats off to you on that. I'm really excited to see how that's going to go. Can you tell us about what prompted the podcast approach and maybe some of the logistics around how you produce it? I can see your studio right now. But also sort of, you you mentioned those problem statements that your clients get. So how do you prioritize those questions that you answer in in the episodes that you record? Yep, so I launched unsure insure i know it's a really cheesy name but it's great kind of like that <laughs> i love I like cheesy stuff as you can tell <laughs> <laughs> um so launched that about two months ago and i did it because there's so much misinformation about insurance so i have spoken to so many freelancers that could have used their insurance but just didn't know that that's what their insurance did. And then on the flip side of that, I've had customers get in touch with me to make claims on things that your insurance doesn't cover. So generally, there's just a lot of misunderstanding about what these insurance products do and don't do. So I wanted to address that by creating these sort of bite-sized podcasts. I don't think there's any of the episodes that go over 10 minutes because I can't imagine anybody would sit and listen to an hour-long episode about insurance. And to try to keep them as not dry as possible. So I don't think they're fun, but I think that hopefully they're just easy listening. Um, so really, it's just there to keep people informed. I do not see it as being a podcast that people subscribe to and they're like, great, it's Monday at half 10. I know that a new episode of Unsured Insure is coming out. But instead, the idea is to create a backlog of really useful content that people can dip into if and when they're having that problem or when they feel like learning a bit more about a certain thing. And then ultimately also for this content to be ranked so that when people are searching for solutions to their problems, unsure insure is coming up. Because let me tell you, there's so much bad advice on Reddit. I'm on the freelance subreddit all the time. There's so much terrible advice. And uh, and so I want to contribute, uh, you know, another side of things and show people how their insurance can actually work for them. And then logistics wise, it's super simple because I moved into a new office back in I think it was June or July and I'm sharing it with a a group of friends who are mostly photographers and filmmakers they're just all creatives and we created this podcast studio so it's fully soundproof it's got really good professional equipment in it so I literally like stand up from my desk walk out into the hallway open the cupboard door into this little podcast studio press the record button on our podcast deck, whatever this thing's called, a roadcaster deck. And that's the podcast produced. It's really that simple. And then just upload it to Transistor. That's who I use for my podcast hosting. Who do you use? I'm using Pinecast for mine. I've never heard of that. It took us a while to find it, but it's really budget. It's like $5 a month. You can have unlimited podcasts and episodes as well. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, I use Transistor because I know the founder that created it and I think that's funny that that's good though yeah yeah it's it's uh it's nice to support him it's funny that you're more inclined to use products or services from people that kind of have a face behind the company type of thing but yeah that's it that's the that's logistics um it's really really straightforward and I don't know how well the podcast will do um it's had good feedback so far and then the idea is to turn it into a video series as well uh, just so that people because not everybody wants to listen to a podcast just trying to get this information out there in every possible format well done i've listened to probably three or four of your episodes and i think the size is perfect it's not too short it's not too long you're very clear about it and you're just addressing problems nice and succinctly as well so keep that up what's your sort of commitment to this are you going to keep doing it every monday or are you going to kind of 
time box it to a certain number? What, what's the plan for, for now? So I think that a lot of people tend to start podcasts or do anything really and then give up very quickly when it doesn't get traction. So I am committed to doing this every single week. I'm going to give it a year and see what happens. Wow. Yeah, but I've got a big backlog of episodes already recorded. I tend to just come into this room and, you know, just churn out five episodes at a time and then add them to Transistor and, you know, buffer the, the release date. So... I don't want to give up on it too quickly because I've I've done that in the past. I think we're all guilty of that when your audience numbers don't seem to be where you want them to be. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. And it also just helps me understand more about our products as well because there are certain things that I'm not too familiar with. Like I've just done an episode about IR35 insurance. Loads of customers have been emailing me about that. And then I went off and did so much research, looked into all of our policies and pulled all of that information into an episode. So now it's great that I know more about that and I can continue to provide my own customers with value in that respect so yeah i'm committing to it now let's do it for a year and see what happens it's on record now i'll make <laughs> life work you've heard it here first <laughs> um, no i'm glad you, I, like i said i know what you mean because i've fell into the trap of recording podcasts and then kind of giving up because it just didn't have much traction i was recording one with a friend it's called verbal diary very silly tech sort of focused podcast but we just struggled to find a schedule that worked for us so we were you know we try and do it in the evening we might do it in the daytime but it never really stuck and that was our biggest problem was just finding a good time to keep it regular that said i've done the music one since 2005 that was every month never fail what yeah that's amazing well so it's interesting you say that i think the listener count helps i was really lucky with that music one it was early times of podcasts there weren't many around and i was getting like ten thousand downloads a week sort of thing it was just crazy numbers oh my goodness but it's free music that's the way it was it was a very gray area when it came to licensing there was no laws or rules around it but it just felt ethically wrong that said people kept saying great stuff keep it coming keep it coming it's like okay i'm not getting anything from it you know most djs would do this to get a career out of it i wasn't in that at all it's just a hobby so i felt committed to delivering that every month for the last 15 years which, yeah, as you can, from your face, is like... Oh, I just can't believe that. So I'm, I'm really proud of what we've done with it. But I've got to this point now, I really do feel like it might be time to sunset it. Do I need to continue doing it? Is it a commitment I can stick to? I'm going to get what I should be getting from it. It's not just for other people, it's for me as well. So it's knowing when to say that's enough and just doing it in a nice, graceful way without affecting all your audience. Because as I say, there's still a thousand odd Facebook like friends that follow it blimey that's scary that, that many people care about this stuff you've got a huge audience to tap into as well but well it's difficult to know with side projects it's difficult to know like do i keep doing this even though i don't get anything in terms of like there's no monetary reward sometimes it's okay to do things just for fun but then if you're not having fun it's yeah it's tough to know when it's tough to know how far to take a side project and how long to stick with it but yeah i have a big audience on instagram however i hate it because instagram made me a suggested user twice so both times so that meant people were signing up to the app and it was saying oh you should follow barack obama and uh Kelly Clarkson and Ashley Baxter and both of those times I got about 40,000 subscribers uh, not subscribers followers which was insane however these are people who probably never logged into the app ever again or they just don't take much of an interest in what I'm doing so my engagement rate is horrible so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit uh, deceiving, but um, I I don't really care. I don't really focus on the numbers too much. It's it's just about, I just enjoy taking photos and putting them out there. I don't really care how many likes I get. Okay. I think that's a, a nice segue. We've talked a lot about work, a lot about your business. You love your photography. You're a gamer. You've got your dog, Indy. So much to enjoy. That's not work. So how the hell do you find time to do all this stuff? I get asked that question like quite a bit and like there's there's no productivity hack there's no secret the answer is I don't have kids and I don't have a partner so outside of work my time is my time 
So I go to the gym five times a week and uh, yeah, I pick up my camera and, and go out in photo walks and I play video games and I basically just bosh about doing my own thing because I can. There's a guy in my office, Simon, and he's like the male version of me. We go to the same gym, we do the same number of workouts, we play, he's really into his game and he's into cameras. We're playing the same video game right now, but the difference is that he's a a father and a, a husband and a father to three kids. So I see things like, you know, he'll miss the gym one morning because his kid was up in the middle of the night being sick. Or he can't play video games on the hardest difficulty because he knows that he just can't give it that time and attention that that game needs. And he really just needs to kind of dive in and dive out when he gets these little pockets of time. So that's that's it. It's just that my time is my own to enjoy and, and do whatever I want. So the secret is... I just can't find a boyfriend. That's it. That's the... <laughs> the secret is solo life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the secret is solo life. I don't know how your mate fits it in then. How does Simon fit it all in with children and wife as well? That's mental. I actually don't know. He He definitely doesn't game as much as I do, but I just, I don't know. I have so much respect for people who have families because I don't know how you do it I mean I actually don't know your background so sorry if that gets a bit personal but people who like can produce podcasts and you know do things outside of work when they've got a a family I have so much respect for you and then to top it all off Simon runs his own business as well Um, I just don't know how other people do it I feel like I definitely have it much easier than everybody else because my time is just all I'm responsible for is my business myself and my dog and that's it, and it's kind of nice. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the nugget. You just have three things you can look after in life. Your business, you, and your dog. Yeah. I've got my wife, my two children. That's probably enough. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But it must be difficult for you to find the time to do the podcast. And, like, are, I don't know about you. Are you into your fitness stuff? I mean, you, you look at, looking at you, you look in shape. So, you know, outside of work, you've got your podcasts. Are you into all the fitness stuff? Do you play video games? Basically, what do you make time for? Very good question. So the podcast thing is a little bit contentious because I use my train journey to and from the office to do the editing and all all those little fun parts because it's downtime. There's no disruptions. I've got 45, 50 minutes on the train. I should get my headphones on and edit away or make notes, whatever it might be. So that's my nice focused side project time. That's got nothing else to do. My family time is generally weekends, so I will turn off and then try to enjoy my wife and my children then. Not always the case, obviously. Life happens. And then from a fitness perspective, I've got back into it in the last couple of years. Very lucky to have a gym on site at work, so I make the most of that during quiet times. So it could be lunch, could be after hours, before hours. But then when I work from home, go for a run in the morning before the day starts, you know, just fit, fit it in. You only need half an hour really to get some good fit time, fitness time. It's better than sitting watching some shit on Netflix, quite frankly. I'd I'm, I'm rather go and do something with my body or with my mind than, you know, do nothing. Yeah. I don't game, and I'm not saying it is my numbing, but my son does. He absolutely loves it. And I'm like, dude, get into it, but try and find some creative time out of all this computer time <laughs> as well. I do. You should too. So he, he's seeing the opportunities and he, he wants to get into like media and video and photography and stuff like that. So I'm trying to nurture that. Is he seeing like all of the streamers and stuff yeah. who, quite frankly, are making a lot of money? So that would freak me out if I had a kid and they get into gaming. That's fine because I did too as a child. But back then you couldn't actually make a career out of it. Whereas now you can. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's amazing that they've got to this point where they could, they've made it an official sport. You know, you've got massive tournaments of gaming. But I don't want it to be one of them YouTube-hungry fame-type people. There's more to life than that. And it's very short-term. It's very stressful, as we all find out as well. He loves nature. He loves animals. So I'm like, tap into that. Take a camera out. Video, record, do whatever. And I'll show you how to edit on your new PC and make it all amazing. But it's, it's difficult because I, I like my games as a, as, as a youngster, but I kind of just lost the interest, I guess, as I got older. And time <laughs> became a bit of an issue, I think. Yeah, but you've hit the nail in the head there, like just finding those pockets of time to do stuff. So on your commute to and from work and, you know, half an hour before you start work to go out and run, that's pretty much the same for me. But I just feel like I actually have bigger pockets of time than most people. <laughs> yeah, actually, you've reminded me of that terrible old quote from About a Boy, I think it is, when he talks about his his units of time he's got half an hour to get his hair cut or whatever it is and half an hour to go browse hmv showing our age a little bit now but (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i i can't remember i remember that movie but i can't i can't remember that quote it's it's something around that it's 
I paraphrase the crap out of it. But I think you are right. And the idea of like Pomodoro technique, because you don't know if you've looked into this, but the 25 minute sort of time box of doing work effectively and then having a five minute gap and then doing another 25 and then a five minute gap. That I think is quite a nice sustainable way of managing your time sometimes. It's not for everyone, but it's an, it's another way of sort of kind of compartmentalizing your daily habits and making it work in a limited amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the good thing about running my own business is that I know when I'm productive and I like I, I'm in the office for nine in the morning um, but then I have a slump at around 3 p.m. I'm just not productive anymore. It, it just doesn't matter what I'm doing. I just have that. Like I've been sitting at the, staring at the computer for too long. So then I can just uh, either go home or go off and do something else. Read a book, walk my dog, even go home, tidy the house. Just something to take me away from work and then get back into things a bit later. So it works as well just having that control over my own routine whereas I know not everybody is in that situation because a lot of people have specific hours they have to work are you nine to five or do you is it flexible working flexi I mean the core hours are ten to four I generally do earlier hours like eight till four or half four something thing. but yeah I try to stick to that I'm crap I'll generally get into the office for like half eight and not leave till half five six o'clock sometimes then it's the hour-long commute so it's nearly seven, half seven by the time I get home. So that's every day, two hour round commute? Yeah, pretty wow. much. Wow. Yeah. No wonder you can get your editing done then. Good on you. Well, it's making the most of that time. You know, the trains are pretty comfortable, so might as well make the most of that. Yeah, but a lot of people would just scroll through their phone and Twitter and Instagram for two hours every day. So. Oh, they do. <laughs> I know, I watch them over my shoulder. I'm thinking, you guys, yeah. I'm making something here. <laughs> Nice. Right. Um, I'm mindful of time, actually. We're running very close. Are there any other side projects you're working on at the moment you like? You can tell us about? Actually, no. I I don't think there is, anyway. Good work. Yeah, I d- I'm so focused on using my time for With Jack. And because I fell into the trap years and years ago of having loads of side projects. Like, I had a podcast. I had a gaming blog. I was doing photo walks around Glasgow with groups of people. I had a SaaS app. I had a photo course. I had loads of things. And then I realized all of that stuff was kind of distracting me from making this business work. Well, at that point, I hadn't launched the business. So I called all of those, focused on just getting With Jack launched, uh, which was hard enough. And then I got to the launch and realized, actually, that was the easy part. Now I have to turn this into a business. And, you know, I'm, I'm close to having a thousand customers, which is a lot for one person to handle. So really, I don't have any side projects because I'm just focusing on with Jack. However, once we get the automated quote and bind system out and that frees up my time, I will definitely look at reintroducing some side projects into my life because I do think they're important. It gives you an opportunity to experiment, to learn new things, to explore and and I miss that. But right now I'm really boring and most of my time's going into the business. I wouldn't say boring, I'd say devoted. Yes, let's go with that. It sounds better as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one last thing. Um if you could give our audience one tip about starting off their own business, what would it be? What would you wish you'd have been told when you started off before with Jack, back to the when you got it from your dad? So I think we've touched upon this throughout our conversation, but definitely what what has worked for me is starting with the smallest version possible that will deliver value. So like I said, we started with a a basic form that's just collecting details and manually processing everything. At launch, I was still using Typeform. That's how bare bare bones it was. And then just iterated on things slowly. I reinvested money back into the business when I had that money. And like I said, this year, I'll, I'll, my book of customers will hit half a million, which is just crazy. And then you look at the VC-backed competitors and they've pumped a ton of money into building fancy technology to launch with. And like I said, many are going out of business now because they haven't been able to be profitable. So I know from experience uh, that there is that temptation from all of us to, you know, for perfection. When you're sharing something that you've created with the world, you want it to be perfect. But in my case, what's enabled me to stay in business um, has been uh, starting scrappy, but still delivering enough value and then iterating and gaining momentum and learning new insights as the business is growing, as opposed to just launching with all of the bells and whistles from day one and investing all of your money to get to that point. So I would just say, start with the smallest version possible that still delivers value. I love that. That, That's the essence of what I do as a job as well is like the agile way of thinking get an MVP out there or even most lovable products minimum lovable products 
look at what the customers are doing and iterate and then work out where you need to spend your time next. Yeah, because I've done it the opposite way as well. I've like built, like I built a SaaS app and I, I did it all, uh, yeah. I, I built it all like a fully fleshed out product and then I launched it and I had no customers and I'd done no sort of feedback or anything. I've, I, I didn't speak to customers to see what, what this software, what features it should have, what they'd find useful. I just sat in my house for nine months and built it and then launched and it failed miserably. And whereas I had the complete opposite approach with Jack, you know, just started really simple, just a basic form and uh, and things are going well so that would definitely be my advice good stuff and i like the fact that you did learn from your massive failure as you say yeah because you didn't do it again but yeah that desire to go big bang all the awesome stuff resist as much as possible obviously don't cut off all the edges but you know as long as it's still deli- it has to deliver value that's it so yep. as long as there's still that core value there um, you can still cut corners and just kind of start scrappy like it good stuff we could go on all day i reckon we've got some really shared interest in this yeah. but we really need to wrap it up i think we'll get you back in the future and we'll talk about your podcast and how with jack's going for you up for that definitely i love talking to you oh, it's been great fun and I'm, I'm glad you joined in on the whole make life work series um i think you found a really nice balance of how you're making life work for you you've got your fun side you've got your work side you've got your health side everything's tickety boo let's say so keep it up thank you so much you too I will. Right then. Um, final thing, uh, how can people get a hold of you when they want to talk to you about with Jack and what you're up to nowadays? So I'm trying to get back into using Twitter more. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at I am Ashley. And then, of course, you can just email me at hello at iamashley.co.uk and I'd love to talk to everybody. You do a good job of it as well. Thanks ever so much for coming, Ashley. Really appreciate your time and we will reconvene at some point in the future. Okay. Well, thanks for having me and I look forward to speaking to you again. Good stuff. Thank you to everyone for listening and in particular, Ashley, for joining me for this episode of the Make Life Work podcast. As Ashley suggested, she can be found as at IamAshley on most social networks, or you can email hello at IamAshley.co.uk if that's your preference. As we discussed, you can also check out her insurance company for freelancers at withjack.co.uk, plus her podcast, Unsure Insure, on all the popular podcast apps. You can find all the details about this podcast and all the other episodes at sidejobbling.com slash make life work or look for make life work pod on the socials. We're also available in all the popular podcast apps like Google, Apple and Spotify. So make sure you subscribe, rate and review so we know what you think of it. Finally, thank you to Little Warden for sponsoring this series. Remember, you can get an exclusive 60 day free trial and they will donate the first two months of your paid subscription to mental health charity Mind. Just sign up at littlewarden.com slash make life work. That's all from me. Join me next time when I'll be inviting along another guest to talk about balancing their work, life and side projects on the Make Life Work podcast. <laughs>